leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. On the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Haley. And uh, Brent will have a microphone. Uh, just like to remind us what we're doing here in this sort of weird divergence from our normal worship practice. Uh, we are doing theology, which is uh, discussing, wrestling with our faith. Um, theos in the Greek is God, logos, word, talking, reasoning thinking, discussing uh, God's Word together. So we are in this public worship setting doing public theology. So I invite you to be uh, brave uh, and uh, bring your questions. We had questions at the first service related to uh, the Apostles' Creed. What's this business uh, about Jesus descending into hell? Uh, What's this other line about the one holy Catholic Church, aren't we Lutheran? We had questions about forgiveness, and if you sin and ask forgiveness, this came from a, a kid, uh, and then you do that sin again and again, but didn't ask forgiveness again, are you still forgiven, or do you at that point go to hell? So that was pretty good stuff. I said, are you asking for a friend? And he... <laughs> he uh, uh, so, uh, and then after worship, uh, uh, three ladies, uh, uh came to me and, uh, elderly ladies said, uh, I didn't, I wasn't brave enough to ask this, but I was at a church last Sunday and they had communion and I was talking to the pastor and he asked me about my background. Must have been a small enough church where they noticed that, you know, this person isn't a member. And I told him I'm a Lutheran, an ELCA Lutheran, and he asked me to stay behind. That was the language he used. Please stay behind at the time of communion. And she said it made her cry. Uh, So I thought that was a lovely question, and I wished she had asked it in the context of our discussion. We also recently celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and uh, as part of that experience, we wrote on a door questions and comments about how uh, we need to continually reform. So there's some good stuff there we might turn to for questions. And then we also have Brent, our uh, Minister of uh, uh, Youth and Family. Uh, So you might have questions that uh, Brent would be well-equipped to field related to you know, teenagers in the Christian faith or whatever you might want to ask a young, you know, very mobile guy like that with the microphone. So uh, it doesn't have to just be directed at me. You might also just have a comment or something you'd like to share. That's that's fine, too. So uh, my preference would be that we take a question from the room. Otherwise, I uh, will have to reach back into one of those uh that I just shared have already been kind of brought up during the moment. But I think there's questions here in the room or something you'd like to discuss. Raise your hand. Brent will come to you with a mic and we'll, we'll go. I'll ask uh, Nick to throw up a, a timer because the time goes quickly when we start talking and we have to leave time for us to share in communion together. 
Also, while yeah. Brent's getting to this first question, Natalia, Pastor Natalia, was here this morning uh, to participate, but then she is going to she's participating now in a uh, panel discussion. So she's not chickening out. She just was. Uh, we had long ago agreed that this is where she would be during this worship hour. So, thank you. So this comes from the Reformation. Yeah. And Luther did not want us to be called Lutherans. So I'm wondering why we adopted that name. Yeah. So why are we called Lutherans when it, Luther himself made it very clear? Uh, I want nothing to do with, you know, forming a different church. And I certainly don't want a different church to take my name. In fact, the name Lutherans was used in the derogatory fashion initially. So that's how it sort of began those Lutherans, those who are following Luther and the other reformers, uh, that was a way to sort of scold them, accuse them, and uh, cast dispersions upon them by calling them Lutherans. So, that's kind of cool. We're, we're still called Lutherans uh, because as a, a kind of reforming tradition within the church, we ought to bug the wider church a little bit. In our openness and commitment to sharing God's grace uh, and breaching those boundaries and those walls that keep it from certain populations while others feel safely ensconced within that gracious community. So uh, the name was, was thrust upon us from without as a, as a scorn, uh, but we today and for many generations more than 500 years have embraced it. All right, we're Lutherans then. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Comparing the ELCA to the Wisconsin and Missouri synods, which version is most similar to Luther, uh, Martin Luther's vision? Wow, never heard it asked that way. You know, that's a really good question. Yeah. Usually, we're addressing questions from the perspective of what are some of the similarities and differences between these different expressions of the Lutheran faith tradition. Missouri Synod in the United States, there's, uh, I think, a million and a half, give or take, or little over a million folks who identify are part of congregations that are part of that Missouri Synod Lutheran faith tradition. The ELCA, of which we are a part, uh, currently just under four million, three and a half million, uh, and the Wisconsin Synod, smaller yet, under a million. Um, and there are other more ethnic-specific uh, Lutheran faith traditions in the country. The Slovak Zion's Lutheran Church, for instance, tends to be sort of defined by its ethnic heritage. Uh, so which of these faith traditions would adhere or be an expression most closely aligned with Luther's theology and proclamation and reforming principles? That is a really deep question, and I... I am smart enough to know I'm not smart enough to know the right, best answer. I would love to pose that answer to one of my college professors. 
I would love to say, well, obviously it's the ELCA. I mean, that's us. You know, I can't say that. Um, Luther had a sternness about his proclamation and his theology and his, and his practice. Um, and I, so I'm just, it, that's a great question and I, am wholly ill-equipped to really address that. I have some good scholarly friends, and I will I will pursue that. And maybe we can come back to this one at our next Ask the Pastors. But I I I have for the first time in all of these uh, Ask the Pastors, I am chickening out, and I will speak on behalf of Natalia and say, I'm pretty sure she wouldn't have touched that one either. She's because she's so smart. Yeah. Thanks, though. Let it be known that came from a Packer fan, so chalk one up in the Packer column. Don't give me the mic. I just popped in my head when we were talking about the Wisconsin Synod, and we lived in Kansas City for 12 years, and I think during that time we were in a Lutheran church that reached out to other churches that were not our denomination. In fact, we had a situation where the choir invited uh, a, a, a composer to participate in having a church service in which we were actually with a Baptist church in downtown Kansas City. So re- really kind of reaching across the, and, and it was extremely, um, it, it was extremely rewarding to me just to, to learn to learn different faiths. Uh, and I think it was a positive. So I, I was just curious what we might do in this community because we have got a very ethnic diverse community here. So that's my question. Yeah. Um, so I'm still work, part of my brain is working on this one um, because it occurs to me that I'm, I'm coming back to you. It occurs to me that one of the big issues in the uh, among many huge issues, theological issues, and it's related to the question that was asked to me after service by uh, the ladies about communion, um, where, where she was asked, and it was, I will, I will say, it was at a Lutheran congregation, not an ELCA congregation, where she was asked, because she was not of that faith tradition, to stay behind. That's the, the language she says the pastor Use please stay behind at the time of communion. So this was a big issue for Luther and the reformers as they argued over the theology of what happens at the Lord's Supper, at the Eucharist. And there were those who were trying to draw very distinct lines. You must believe this about the sacrament uh, in order to participate in receiving the Lord's uh, body and blood. And this was animated, and you can read it in Luther's writings, and it became very heated. And there, there is a time at which Luther was said to have slammed his fist down on the table and yelled, Sadis est, it is enough that we agree on the real presence of Christ for us in this sacrament in order for us to commune together. It is enough. So, as we always do and have already done at the beginning of this service, 
as we prepare to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, I have said, if you believe Jesus is present to you and you happen to be a Baptist or Missouri Synod Lutheran or Wisconsin Area Synod Lutheran or Slovak Zion Lutheran or a Roman Catholic or an Episcopalian or a Reformed tradition or a Church of Christ, if you happen to be here visiting today, you are more than welcome to come forward and receive communion. And I believe that is closer to the reforming thrust that Luther proclaimed than is uh, the alternative, which is to say, please stay behind at the time of communion. So I can speak to that aspect of, uh, so I have not entirely 100% chickened out on your question. I have (laughs) spoken at least to that. To the question of the diversity of denominations in our region and how we can worship together or is that the kind of, yeah. Um, you know, I, I love those kinds of opportunities. We've done some with our uh, in-house uh, uh, fellowship, the uh, Hope Liberian Congregation. We've had some joyful uh, joint uh, worship together as we raised funds for uh, the hospital in Liberia. And I've led a uh, international conference. I was the keynote speaker for a conference that the Liberian Church uh, hosted here. Uh, the Hope Liberian Congregation did. We had a good, rich time together. You know that we have uh, a strong, long tradition that goes well be- be- before my time here at the church with ministry in, in Jamaica. We're at Faith Chapel. We have a number of you have come and gone from there regularly, are like associate members at that place. It is a uh, charismatic kind of church of God. I don't know exactly what their faith tradition is. I do know it's not Lutheran. And, uh, and so our, our folks are accustomed to having a rich, uh, engaging experience there as we are in Tanzania where we worship, uh, with Lutherans uh, who express the faith in very different ways than we are accustomed to, but also with other denominations as well. It, it, pragmatically, to do it on a regular basis on Sunday morning when we're all at our places doing our thing, it becomes kind of challenging. I'm always open to when opportunities present themselves for that to happen. Uh, uh, and uh, so so there's, there's that. Uh, I, I fully embrace and appreciate the diversity of the expressions of worship that are part of other traditions. But I'm also a, a confessional Lutheran pastor, which is to say that when I was ordained, I said, I promise and pledge to proclaim the faith from this Lutheran perspective, which is very clear uh, that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of our own doing, so that no one can boast, but God in his mercy has chosen and forgiven. So that, so that does not always lend itself, quite frankly, to joining in, in, in worship with a neighboring congregation who feels that is absolutely misguided heresy. Hard, I mean, nice people to be sure, but they are proclaiming a very different uh, theological perspective than we are. And it's hard for me if they are going to say, unless you do this, believe these ten things or three things or however many they are, profess this sentence or paragraph or whatever it is, do this, maybe get dunked completely submerged under the water in some cases of believer's baptism. Unless you do all of these things, you are going to suffer eternal damnation. God is going to condemn and, and, uh, and, and banish you to hell. 
I have hard time uh, joining in, in fellowship and, and proclamation in, a, in a, some sort of ecumenical worship service with someone who's, that's their, their proclamation. I, so I just have to be open about that, about what, what, my, what my theological uh, uh, fidelity is. And it's to the Lutheran confessions, which are, I believe, a faithful uh, exposition of what the Bible says about God's grace and mercy. Thank you. This is good. We're off to a great start. It's got to be. There we go. I would like to know what your response was about the uh, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church versus what we used to say Holy Christian. Yeah. Not everybody find that very easy to say. Uh, so I would like to know what you said in the first service. Okay, good. Yeah, it's a common question. Um, yeah, and the creed has been, uh, the language of the creed, uh, it, which depends on translation, uh, have, have, we've made different choices over, so I grew up saying, you know, like the quick and the dead. I, I missed that one, right? Uh, and uh, descended uh, into the dead, and rather than descended into the hell. And... Um, and so they're, they're, so in this case, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Really, this, what this is referring to, because the creed, that apostles creed was in the, uh, in the third century. So before there was a kind of Roman Catholic church in the way that we, uh, understand the existence of that as an organization today. It predates that. Uh, it was really just simply a way to say, Catholic as in universal, Catholic small c, not Catholic Roman Catholic, not Catholic Eastern Orthodox Catholic. There are very different expressions of the Catholic faith tradition in the world uh, and have been for generations. But the creed does not speak to a denomination, not Roman Catholic or any other denomination. It is apostolic uh, Catholic small c. So in other words, the, the universal Christian church in all of its expressions, that's what... That's what the creed always did mean and what we mean by it when we use that language. We don't use Catholic in that way so much any, anymore. It's more, uh, most of us kind of think of the Catholic Church down the road or the Roman Catholic Church, but that's not at all what was intended even by the, by that language in the creed. And it's why other translations have used a different word for Catholic because just to free people from that confusion. Remember, you can ask Brent questions. Yeah, I'm fair game. <laughs> uh, this is more of a comment. I was talking to somebody um, in her mid-30s, grew up in the Lutheran Church, uh, went to a college that you know was also a Christian college, and she currently doesn't go to church. And we were having a conversation about that, and her comment was that um, people who go to church spend too much time looking backwards, meaning like looking into the Bible and and going back, and we don't spend enough time talking about current issues that are going on in the world. And I found that very interesting, that there seems to be a misperception about the time that we spend in church, and how can we maybe work on bridging that gap for maybe a younger generation 
um, you know, she, she just doesn't, she doesn't feel like we, you know, we bury our heads basically that we're, we spend our time in church burying our heads in the sand talking about the past. And I found it very interesting. Yeah. Thank you. I wish she were here. Um, and my, I would likely agree with much of her, her, her sort of perspective in, in so many ways. I mean, I, I mean, the, the church is in a different, uh, it's in a different era. You know, it's often referred to as the post-Christendom era, the era after which the church is the sort of dominating cultural organization around which families and uh, everything sort of revolved. It's, that's not the case anymore. So, uh, and, and we hear, we hear all kinds of feedback about why that is and why the trends, if you look at meta-trends, large trends across the church tend to be moving downward, less uh, church involvement, um, fewer members, less resources for ministry. Why are things moving in this direction? And a lot of the, and this is so deeply studied by so many for over such a span of time, a lot of the feedback we get is that the church to this new generation feels like something out of the past. It's lost a kind of, and we, and, and those of us for whom we've been, it's been our reality all along, our whole lives, want to often say, but it isn't irrelevant. It is relevant, and you should want it, and you should appreciate the ancient liturgies, and you should appreciate, you know, pipe organs and preachers and all the accoutrements of the, of the traditional church. You should, because, but, we can we can yell into the storm all we want. There, there, that's not bringing anybody back. So what then? We've had to rethink what is central and crucial. What can't we let go of? And to me, it's always been this gospel, this message, which is relevant everywhere, in every culture, in every uh, stage of life. Always matters. Always has power and resonance. How then can we share this gospel with this next generation who's less inclined to want to open up to the third setting in a bound hymnal and sing along with a pipe organ and stand and sit and stand and sit and have, what, what are we, are, are we going to go, are we going to go down with the ship or are we going to find ways to reach this, this generation with what we believe to be God's good and gracious and life-giving word? And that is what the church is struggling with today. What what can we do? In our own personal, right here at Prince of Peace, we deal with it on a whole host of levels. This is one of them. Just stopping what we're doing long enough to say, let's talk about why we do what we're doing. And let's be open to criticism and questions. We try to gather people into small groups where they can have this discussion group life and access and revolution and 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 bible studies i sat in on the men's bible study on tuesday where and there's studies that happen in other times and other places all of these are ways that we want to wrestle and and engage the faith uh uh theology on tap a group who who gathers at a different you know local microbrewery or wherever uh and and there uh have discussions about the faith and about uh, current events in a way that's not churchy you know but it's but it's engaged it is the community so can the church go out and and be church in other locations in other contexts um i think so and all of this is part of this struggle and that you know um i appreciate her her perspective
Okay, so this is more for Brent. So to continue on that, mother of two daughters, I have the older one who's fourth grade. She's, I don't want to go to church anymore. It's boring. I don't like it. How do we engage that younger generation? Because they're not going to the coffee houses, the brew houses, the group lives. So is there other youth groups that we can tie together within our community? Because I think there's a lot of young youth here, but then as I see Sunday school programs, some Sundays there's only 20 kids sitting up there. I went to a church where my confirmation class was 60. So how do you engage that? It's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to say time's up. Just kidding. Uh, we could throw we could yeah. we could throw another five minutes up there. I well, I can only speak from my perspective, and that is, you know, we're not alone in facing that. Um, there's a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is, the kids will go where their parents take them, regardless of whether the kids want to go or not. Um, every week it might not hit home. Every week it might be that. Uh, no, I didn't like it. I didn't have fun. Uh, there was nobody else there. But if you keep going, if you think back to your their, your kids' baptisms, the promises you made to bring them to God's house, to hear God's word, to live among God's faithful people, if you are faithful to that promise, God will also be faithful. And we don't know which week, what day, what event uh, it will be that it might click for them. But we know and trust that God's Spirit is at work, even in the midst of their defiance and questioning and downright refusal. Uh, we know that God's never going to give up. And as such, and as one who's made a promise to your kids, I encourage you and parents everywhere to not give up on that either. And to kids, um, uh, whether it be Axis Revolution, even all the way down into Sunday school, I encourage them also to have an open mind and to question, just like last service we had one of our Sunday school boys asking questions and engaging. And that taught him that church is a place his voice can be heard as well. So it's on all of us as well to make this uh, as level a playing field as possible when we have kids who want to speak up, to do something. And as for me, in uh, in the work I do with our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, it's all about life. It's all about what does this look like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Not just Sunday morning and Wednesday night, but what does it look like when I am in school being criticized, bullied, spread rumors about how do I lean on my faith my identity, that I'm a beloved child of God. How do I rest in that and find comfort and confidence to not let the world get to me and get down to me? So for them, I say, this is real life stuff. This matters. You might not see it overtly uh, week in and week out, but that time is going to come. That situation will arise where you will say, wait, I know who I am. I'm not what these kids are saying about me. I'm a beloved child of God. I have a community that supports me, and I know what is true and what I can just 
push off. So wherever I went with that, tying it all together, be faithful and be open to trying new things and don't give up. This is important stuff. We've made these promises right here alongside you. Uh, Katie would say the same thing, um, that it is our job, our privilege, to get to wrestle with uh, all of the kids that we have here in their questions, their doubts, their frustrations. Uh, We get to engage in those with them and listen to them, meet them where they're at, and hopefully show them a new perspective new idea, but if nothing else, a constant, unfailing, unwavering love and acceptance that they're not going to get anywhere else. And that's just, that's just what I lean on. (laughs) Thanks, Brent. I I would say, boy, you think this church is boring. You should have seen the one I grew up in. And, (laughs) And I remember being dragged there, you know, and, um, you know, I don't ever remember anything, you know, that the pastor was saying up there. Or, but I remember, I remember my dad kneeling at the communion rail at Old Atonement, and and that always sort of struck me. My dad's a proud guy, a little bit stern. Not he's mellowed now in his older age, but you know, it just always struck me that my dad was on his knees up there. Um. And there were moments when, as bored as I was on the whole, and I hated going to confirmation, they had to shove me out of the car to go there, because it was literally boring. There were moments, though, where the Holy Spirit would get through to me, and there would be, there would be some spark of faith there. And uh, so I want to say, I want to echo Brent's response and say, you know, this isn't all about what's in it for me all the time. Sometimes it's about me showing up. And whether I feel like it or not. Uh, but also what, you know, I, I need to just point out, um, as the senior pastor of this place, that we are uniquely blessed at Prince of Peace. I mean, we have Brent. <laughs> and we have Natalia. And we have Katie. And we have Nate. And we have Jaime and Linnell and John and Allison. I mean, we are uniquely blessed as a faith community. So we ought not take all that blessing for granted and celebrate and give thanks to God and say, I'm going to give you a little extra uh, because of all that you give to me. I will. This just occurred to me as well. Um, Faith is caught more than it is taught. It's not my own line. I learned that. But faith is caught more than it is taught. And the last thing I will say is that... uh, I can look around and at the kids here and say, I know you guys are always watching your parents. I know you see them and the other important adults in your life. And if this stuff, if this faith and religion is something that only happens one or two hours a week on Wednesdays or Sundays, and it is not a recurring theme or driving force throughout daily life, they're going to learn that it's only places here and that it doesn't affect life the rest of the week. So remember that. Faith is caught more than it is taught. If it is something lived out that is a part of your rituals and traditions as a family and movements of your life, they will see that and notice that. 
So let them catch it from you. Bring it up again tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and so on. Because if the only interaction they have with it is here from those of us on staff or volunteers, they're going to realize and learn and practice that it is something that is only practiced and talked about here, not out there. And that's not the case. Flip that around. I want whatever I do here to back up and support the life and the leading and teaching that you're doing out there far more than I am. Okay, we have time for one last one. Stacy. well, we might run three or four minutes late, but I think we all can agree that it's worth it. So we'll have one last thing. Thanks. Go. Awesome. All right. So I have a question um, about questioning. I have people that I talk to that say I have too many questions. You know, it makes it hard to believe Christianity when I just I have too many questions. And I think um, I personally believe that doubt is such an important part of faith and wrestling is. And But I also believe there can be a demonization of that within the church. Like don't doubt believe but then there's the other side of kind of getting stuck in your questions I think um, and at some point you have to lean into the divine mystery and have faith so I was wondering if you could speak to the paradox of questioning and holding doubts but also walking forward in faith yeah it is a, it is a, a tension there and I, and I appreciate the question I um, you know if we, if we look at the disciples uh, their their kind of journey with Jesus and we we you know we I mean there's doubting Thomas there are times where they're just outright not believing what has happened and looking for some evidence or proof and and there's lots of talk about well that you know the Jews demand signs and the the Greeks want wisdom and you know uh, and so there's this this reality that even those following Jesus at the time of his earthly ministry had doubts. And when they didn't have doubts, when they proclaimed, uh, you know, a certain strongly held belief, oftentimes, maybe even most times, they were wrong. So we should approach the whole idea of certitude with some humility. You know, Jesus, which of us uh, can sit at your right and sit at your left when you come into your glory, the sons of thunder proclaimed. You know, we want places of honor, Jesus, that you are going to rule. And then, you know, thinking back on that, that, that question, that statement, you know, we think, who was at Jesus' left and on his right when he came into his glory? Well, it was a thief on either side of him as he died on a cross. I'm pretty sure that's not what those guys thought they were asking for, right? So, uh, Peter at one point steps forward and says, who do people say that I am? Jesus asking, you are the son of the, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Well, you know, you didn't get that from people, but from God in heaven. And then Jesus proclaims what that means for him, that it will mean suffering and rejection and death. Oh, certainly not. Peter rebukes him and Jesus has to then say, get behind me, Satan. So, so often we see when someone forcefully proclaims something that they're certain of, even the disciples, they're just wrong. And other times they have doubts, but Jesus goes and gives them what they need. Thomas, you don't believe? Shove your hand in my wound. Go ahead. That's what you need. So it's never going to be about our place in God's heart, in God's kingdom. It's never going to be about us 
being certain uh, uh, exactly about what we believe and not doubting and that sort of thing. And, and doubting and questioning and reasoning and searching, that's all part of reaching for faith. And we want faith. I mean, I, I can tell you, when I go to be with somebody who's passing from this life to the next, I believe that God in Christ has proclaimed forgiveness and grace and, and promises to be with them, this side and that side. I really believe that. So whether or not they believe that or they're doubting it does not make it more or less true. So there are some things that I believe and proclaim with confidence. That's the gospel that we preach. But there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I sometimes am shaky on and have doubts about and can't answer. And I think that's part of the part of the faith. The, the, the sum total, the big the big answer to the question is, it never depends your salvation, your place in God's kingdom does never depend on the veracity and totality of your own faith and understanding. It doesn't and it can't because you'll always be standing on thin Minnesota ice waiting to way before you should be out there waiting to fall through. It, the, the God's grace and mercy is what we're here uh, about. It's what we proclaim. It's what we're sure about. It's, it's why we are bearers of good news. So what are we sure of? That God in Christ has revealed himself to be a compassionate, forgiving God. And that grace is for you, whoever you are, whatever your friend believes or doesn't believe. That's what we've come to say. Not to convince them of something or to win an argument or to, you know, any anything other than that. It's we, to be bearers of good news, we have to be bearers of this gracious word of God. So thanks again. The time always flies when we do this. It's great. Uh, wonderful. Uh, so we will continue uh, our time of worship as we move toward the altar and communion. We'll stand together to recite the last. Come on. Oh, come.